Hi everyone. In an effort to promote better understanding of the specifics of the laws of fast and abstinence, we've put together a bit of a Lenten user's guide. You might remember that we've already published one list of Lenten basics, but if that version was the nuts and bolts of Lent, then this version is more like the semi-comprehensive handbook of what to do with the nuts and bolts. And fair warning, it might be slightly dry, but it's packed full of pertinent information. Thanks to the help and careful editing of a very patient and blessedly thorough priest friend, we hope we've covered the basic mechanics of the season in an accessible format, FAQ style. We'll cover the specifics of the Eucharistic fast on another podcast as they do differ from the Lenten fast rules. See the show notes for the list of sources, and keep in mind that your pastor or confessor is always the best resource if you have questions. First, the basics. What is Lent exactly? Lent is the period of 40 days, excluding Sundays, from Ash Wednesday to Easter, observed annually by Catholics as a season of fasting, penance, and self-denial, in preparation for the commemoration of the Passion, Death, and finally the glorious Resurrection of Christ. Why 40 Days? The 40 days fast in Lent is an imitation of our Lord, who fasted 40 days in the desert. Why do we fast and abstain? The Church commands us to fast and abstain in order that we may control the desires of the flesh, raise our minds more freely to God, and make satisfaction for sin. Who is required to fast and abstain? This one has a two-part answer. In general, no one has to abstain before their seventh birthday. However, on the day after your seventh birthday, you're required to abstain from meat on Fridays, Ember Days, Vigil Days, Ash Wednesday, and Holy Saturday. But you are not required to abstain from meat during Lent, and you're not required to do the Lenten fasting. This changes when you turn 21. On the day after your 21st birthday, you're still required to abstain from meat on Fridays, of course, as well as on Ash Wednesday, Holy Saturday, Ember, and Vigil Days, as you've done since you were seven years old. But as an adult, you must now also observe the partial abstinence required as part of Lenten fasting, which, of course, you are also now required to observe. Until you turn 59. On the day of your 59th birthday, you continue to abstain from meat on Fridays, Ember Days, Vigil Days, Ash Wednesday, and Holy Saturday, and, barring an unusual exception, you will do so until the day you meet your Maker. But you are no longer obliged to observe the partial abstinence that goes with Lenten fast, because you are no longer obliged to observe the Lenten fast. The rules of fast and abstinence can be found in Canons 1250 through 1254. Um, now, you can check the show notes to find out exactly what the canons are. On November 14, 1951, and again in November of 1956 and 1958, the Catholic Hierarchy of the United States adopted a uniform norm for fast and abstinence. The regulations now in force are based on the provisions of the Code, Canons 1250, 1251, and 1252, as modified through the use of special faculties, particularly the decree of the Sacred Congregation of the Council of January 1949. For the record, here's the text of Canon 1253. 
on abstinence from meat. Everyone over seven years of age is bound to observe the law of abstinence. Complete abstinence is to be observed on all Fridays, Ash Wednesday, Holy Saturday, and the vigils of the Immaculate Conception and the Vigil of Christmas. On days of complete abstinence, meat and soup or gravy from meat may not be used at all. Partial abstinence is to be observed on Ember Wednesday and Saturday and on the Vigil of Pentecost. On days of partial abstinence, meat and soup or gravy made from meat may be taken only once a day at the principal meal. On Fasting All Catholics over 21 and under 59 years of age are bound to observe the laws of fast. The days of fast are the Ember Days, the Vigils of Pentecost, the Immaculate Conception, and Christmas, as well as the weekdays of Lent, including Holy Saturday until midnight, as extended by Pope Pius XII. On days of fast, only one full meal is allowed. Two other meatless meals, sufficient to maintain strength, may be taken according to each one's needs, but together they should not equal another full meal. Meat may be taken at the principal meal on a day of Lenten fast except on Fridays, Ash Wednesday, and Holy Saturday when full abstinence is required. Eating between meals is not permitted when fasting, but liquids including milk and fruit juice are allowed. When health or the ability to work would be seriously affected, the law does not oblige. If in doubt concerning fast or abstinence, a parish priest or confessor should be consulted. It's important to note, the rule of fast and abstinence binds until the end of life. A good way to know if the abstinence pertains to Lenten fast or not is by looking at the Catholic calendar, and you all know how I love my Catholic calendar. If there is an F on the day, then partial abstinence applies only to those fasting. If there is an image of a full fish, that's a full fast day for everyone seven and older and a half-fish is partial abstinence for everyone seven and older. You'll notice that there aren't fish pictured on the days of Lent on the calendar, only capital F's, because fasting on those days doesn't apply to everyone. And so there you have it verbatim. It seems pretty straightforward, right? Or does it? I would say that it does, but then again, sometimes, maybe not. Not always. Is anyone 100% clear on all the laws of fast and abstinence, particularly those concerning Lent? I can tell you that over the many years we've traveled the 40 days of Lent as a family, we've come across many points that needed clarifying. Here are a few of the questions we've asked, or that we've been asked, and a couple that are just good to have down here for the record. The sources of our answers can be found in the show notes and in about a bazillion private text messages back and forth with Father Borja. This is our list of frequently asked questions. First, concerning the age factor in fast and abstinence during Lent. Can you continue to observe the Lenten fast after age 59? Well, of course you can. It's not as if any of us is less needing of reparation the older we get. Quite the contrary. But it's often the case that by the time we've reached that 60th year, we're already bearing a basketful of penances bestowed upon us personally by God. St. Peter Damien tells us, The best penance is to have patience with the sorrows God permits. And by the time we've reached our sixth decade— Many already are putting up with an awful lot of frailty of health. 
such that it equals or exceeds the penance of the Lenten fast. The challenge, then, is to carry these crosses cheerfully, step up our prayer lives and the frequent reception of sacraments if possible, and then, of course, we should add what fasting and sacrifices we are able to do when we're able to do them. Just because we've reached 59 doesn't mean we don't have to do Lent anymore. Let's just say it out loud, and I can speak to this because I turned 59 this year. Once you're in your 60s, it's not so much a matter of an unexpected meeting with our banker. At this season of life, we know we're getting in proximate distance of the gate, whether we like it or not. It behooves us to be getting those wedding garments pressed and patched, people. We can't say we didn't know. And the church makes it clear that we are still obligated to observe Lent. Canon 2989 tells us, Those who are dispensed from the ecclesiastical fast or abstinence should remember that they are not dispensed from the natural law of temperance, and they should practice some abstemiousness according to their ability, in other words, by self-denial of alcoholic beverages, tobacco, sweets, or mortification in the quantity or quality of food. So, in other words, if you can't fast, think of something else to offer our Lord during Lent. Next question. Can children younger than seven abstain from meat when the rest of the family abstains? Well, of course they can abstain. Many families find this simplifies matters for the cook, and vigil days and ember days come up seldom enough that even if some other protein isn't substituted on that day, abstaining is not likely to endanger a child's health. It's up to parents to decide about the practical nature of this, but it's never necessary for children younger than seven to abstain from meat. Does a person have to fast or abstain who has reached seven years of age, but has limited mental faculties and is incapable of reason? No, they are not obliged to fast or abstain, just as you would suppose. Quote, the law of the church on abstinence binds all who have completed their seventh year, provided they have also reached the use of reason. It begins to bind on the day after their seventh birthday. A child below this age, even though he has the use of reason, or one over this age, if he has not reached the use of reason, is free from the law. End quote. The law regarding fast likewise does not oblige. Can you begin to practice fasting and abstaining during Lent and on the Vigil and Ember Days before turning 21? Well, maybe. Mm. This one is a little more ticklish. It's not generally recommended that growing children limit a full and healthy diet in any way. Holy Mother Church is always more than reasonable on these matters, but she leaves the door open for individual circumstances, especially when it's a question of going above and beyond the call of duty. Parents can and should lead their children to choose appropriate sacrifices as soon as they are the age of reason. You'd be amazed at how early the concept of sacrifice can be understood by children, and the mindset of love and penance is an important one to instill from the youngest age. But strict fasting is not generally advised, for pre-teens especially. Many young adults in mid to later teens and 20 choose to work up to the fasting obligation so that it isn't a shock to the system after their 21st birthday, but it isn't necessary to do so. If in doubt on this question, though, especially if you're considering the full Lenten fast in your teens, 
it's a good idea to consult your confessor or pastor. Next up, the topic of abstinence or abstaining from meat. Can I use lard derived from meat in my cooking on an abstinence day? Yes, actually you may, but only rendered lard without chunks in it. Likewise lawful are margarine and meat extracts that have lost the taste of meat or broth, such as gelatin. Likewise gelatin products of animal origin, but not soup cubes that contain meat ingredients. So, bouillon cubes or bouillon paste are not allowed as they retain the taste of the meat and contain meat ingredients. What kind of meat must I avoid? And can I spread lard on a piece of toast like peanut butter and eat it for breakfast? Generally speaking, the meat of mammals and birds are not allowed when we're abstaining. And yes, you can actually eat lard if you are so inclined. Just please don't do it around me, okay? Quote, the prohibition extends only to the flesh of mammals and birds, including the fat, blood, marrow, brains, heart, liver, etc. Lawful foods are fish, frogs, turtles, snails, mussels, clams, oysters, crabs, etc. As seasoning, one may use rendered lard not only to prepare food, but also as a spread. You heard it yourself. Now, I understand about the meat of animals and birds, but what about things like snake, frogs, beaver, duck, or whale? Uh, yes, no, and sometimes. It depends on where you live, actually. Quote, The law of church abstinence forbids flesh meat. In general, flesh meat is that which comes from warm-blooded animals. On the other hand, the flesh of snails, frogs, or snakes is allowed because they're cold-blooded, though they live on land. Custom in some places permits the use of what is actually flesh meat, such as wild duck in Louisiana. Custom also seems to justify the eating of warm-blooded animals that live in the water, such as the whale. End quote. Um, we actually explored this topic on another podcast that we'll link in the show notes regarding the eating of meat on Friday. Beavers have been categorized by the church as a non-meat pantry item in Canada and muskrats and capybara in South America. But seeing as these were only generally allowed by custom in specific areas, I'd recommend asking your priest before going to the trouble of trying to trap a beaver to eat for dinner. Now, onto the subject of fasting. As with the laws of abstinence, the obligation pertains only to those who are of the age and ability to be required to fast in Lent. So, how about tea and coffee? Are these allowable between meals? Yes, as noted, but just because a food is drinkable doesn't necessarily make it allowable when fasting. Quote, the church fast is not broken by liquids, however copious, as long as they are not too nourishing. For example, water, ginger ale, tea, and coffee, even prepared with milk and sugar, milk and fruit juice, are allowed between meals as well as at meals. On the other hand, soups and cream, etc., are forbidden between meals. Which does beg a little clarification. Does this mean I can have a dollop of heavy whipping cream in my coffee or tea? The answer is yes, but only so much as you customarily take. 
It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. It wouldn't be in the spirit of Lenten mortification to increase your cream intake during Lent. And to follow up by again stating the obvious that isn't always obvious, it would break your fast to drink a cup of heavy whipping cream in between meals, or to fill in the gaps with a thick creamy milkshake or a thick kefir or yogurt drink. These could be a part of your main meal or could serve as one of your collations, but they can't be used as an in-between meal stopgap. Remember, we're supposed to be a little hungry, that's the point. Think of our Lord's 40-day fast in the desert. It's good to be able to sympathize with Jesus' hunger, isn't it? It gives us the chance to remember our Lenten purpose and to quietly offer our discomfort for the intentions God knows are most important, our own and the world's. But here let me quote the official explanation. Quote, Eating between meals is forbidden, but liquids including milk and fruit juice are allowed. The usual amount of cream and coffee or tea is permitted. Milk is understood as ordinary or homogenized, but does not include such combinations as malted milk or milkshake. However, combinations based on skimmed milk and a coloring or special flavoring such as chocolate milk are rather a drink than a food and are therefore permissible so you can have your chocolate milk, but not your chocolate milk shake. Now, this doesn't mention wine or beer. Can I drink an alcoholic beverage between meals and still keep my Lenten fast? The official answer is, yes, you may. Quote, wine, beer, etc. are not considered nourishing drinks, though they may be contrary to the spirit of Lent. End quote. In other words, my words, if you haven't given up alcohol for Lent, maybe you should consider it. Next question. What if I'm required to take medicine with food? Is that allowable between meals? Now, I'd like to preface this one with the suggestion that it's usually possible to plan the day so that medicine can be taken with one of the prescribed Lenten meals. But in the odd chance that it isn't possible, quote, if necessary, in order that a drink or medicine may not be injurious, a bite of food may be taken with it. When health or the ability to work would be seriously affected, the law does not oblige. On the subject of medicines, you might wonder, like we did, about protein drinks, vitamin powders, and electrolytes that are added to water. Are these allowed between meals when we're fasting? As to vitamins and minerals, yes. As to protein drinks, usually no. Quote, Vitamin and electrolytes in liquid form are permitted between meals in the same way that milk and fruit juice, tea, and coffee are allowed. Other solid vitamins or syrups used for legitimate health reasons may be taken between meals when necessary. End quote. Protein drinks, however, are in a different category. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're generally considered meal replacements and they are not permitted between meals during the Lenten fast. They can certainly be used, however, for the small collations or as part of the main meal. If, for health reasons, you require protein drinks between meals, you may want to consult your pastor, as this indicates a possible need for a general dispensation from the fast, something that you would want to have officially okayed. Now moving on. Can I have a large meatless meal for my main meal during the Lenten fast and then catch up on getting my meat for the day 
by adding meat to one of my small meals? The answer is no, you may not. Quote, on days of fast, only one full meal is allowed. Two other meatless meals sufficient to maintain strength may be taken according to each one's needs. On days of partial abstinence, meat and soup or gravy made from meat may be taken only at the principal meal. End quote. So, to be very clear, you can have meat only with the chief meal of the day, not at the snacks or collations. Which, incidentally, leads to a short history to define this term collation, which basically means small snack. Sorry, you guys, you know I can't help myself. I love finding out about these things. The story goes that in about the year 817, the Benedictine monks, who I think we can agree probably exerted themselves more strenuously than most, were permitted to take a little additional drink along with a morsel of bread in the evening after a long day's work in the fields. It's said that while the monks took this Spartan snack, they were accustomed to listen to the daily readings of the Colaciones, meaning the collected instructions of the well-regarded 4th century abbot Cassian. It's from this early habit that we glean the word collation, meaning a slight repast or a small snack. And it was about this time that the really strict Lenten fasts began to be relaxed. I'm pretty sure the Benedictines of the ninth century would be shocked to see what we consider harsh Lenten restrictions, but it's all relative, isn't it? And Holy Mother Church, and by this, of course, I refer to the church before the hijacking of the modernists in 1958, but Holy Mother Church, as the protector of all our interests, has amended the very strict Lenten requirements for the good of the faithful in general, understanding of the needs of different eras by the light of the Holy Ghost. The Church has never forbidden the faithful to individually practice the strict Lenten fasts of the early Church, short of doing themselves bodily harm. But she has wisely ruled that these practices are not required by all. And one thing I can tell you for sure in that same spirit of saying out loud what we all know is that judging the merits of others' Lenten sacrifices is most definitely not in the spirit of the season. Unless you're a mom, of course, guiding your children to good practices, we all know that the only penitent we should be judging is ourselves. Now, can I choose when to have my main meal of the day? Yes, but with caveats. Generally, the main meal of the day, the one in which we are permitted meat, is expected to be consumed at noon or in the evening, for obvious reasons. The church is nothing if not reasonable and understanding of human nature. Most folks who use up their main meal the first thing in the morning are going to have a hard time making it through the rest of the day with only two small collations. That said, though, under some circumstances, the church allows for exceptions. Quote, if one has a good reason for doing so, one may take the full meal that is allowed on a fast day, even in the morning at breakfast time. End quote. Not as a general rule, in other words, and only if we have a legitimate reason to do so. Must I fast and abstain on holy days of obligation during Lent? Well, this is a moot point, but also, no, you may not. There is no holy day of obligation during Lent in America. That said, quote, 
If a Sunday or holy day of obligation coincides with a day of fast or abstinence or both, the fast or abstinence or both ceases. Can I eat as much as I want at my Lenten main meal? Well, yes, you can, within reason. Quote, as far as the law of the church is concerned, there is no limitation to the quantity of food that may be taken at this meal. But the natural law of temperance would have to be observed. In other words, don't be a pig. You know, as a general rule, don't be a pig, but especially during Lent. Now, what happens if I'm a very slow eater or my main meal is interrupted? Do I have a time limit to finish? Yes, you do, and there are specific rules. The main meal is, quote, not supposed to be protracted for more than two hours. However, a slight interruption would not break the unity as in the event that a person has finished his meal and shortly afterward a box of candy was produced. To interrupt the principal meal for more than half an hour without reason would be a venial sin. Should the interruption last more than an hour, it would be seriously sinful. However, for a proportionately good reason, for instance, to assist the dying, one may interrupt his dinner for several hours. End quote. Holy Mother Church is always reasonable. Next question. How much am I really supposed to eat at the two smaller meals during Lent? Well, it can vary, at least in the United States it can. There are, in fact, two fasting standards in the Church. America, since 1952, has used the relative standard, also called the relative norm. In the U.S., quote, a person may eat a sufficient amount at the breakfast and lunch or supper to enable him to perform his daily tasks without too great inconvenience, but in such wise that he eats somewhat less than usual, and these two smaller meals together do not equal the amount of one full meal for this particular individual. Thus, the amount of food a person may take on a fast day is dependent to some degree on his particular needs and appetite. For example, a person who would normally eat 24 ounces for his principal meal might take 6 ounces for breakfast and 12 ounces for lunch, and yet be truly fasting. However, he may eat meat at his full meal only and may not eat solid food outside his three meals. End quote. So, this takes into account the dietary needs of a 250-pound man, for instance, versus his 125-pound wife. or an athlete versus a bookworm. You get the idea. The other norm, called the absolute norm, is the older standard. Still practiced in some places around the globe, it requires the more specific target of two and eight ounce collations, with no size requirement for the chief meal of the day. Now, as a caution to Americans who observe the relative norm, in the true Lenten spirit of mortification, we should be careful not to take liberties with this less formal standard. For instance, it would be pretty disingenuous, and who would you think you were fooling, if you had two particularly large snacks for breakfast and lunch, then to make them seem legitimate, you followed them up by eating an extra large main meal, calculated to exceed the size of the large snacks. Well, Father Francis J. Connell, in an article in the American Ecclesiastical Review, pointed out this possible error of thinking, explaining that one does not keep the fast simply by making sure the two snacks don't add up to a full meal. Quote, 
If a person can be sufficiently nourished at the two minor meals by a considerably smaller quantity than constitutes a full meal for him, he is obliged to restrict himself to this amount. End quote. In other words, we should be striving to limit ourselves to the least we can manage at the two collations, not the most we think we can get away with. Next question. Am I required to fast and abstain if I suffer from ill health, am pregnant, nursing, or have a physically demanding job? Well, usually not. Quote, a person who cannot observe the church laws of fast or abstinence without grave inconvenience is excused from them. From fasting, therefore, are excused laboring men, those in weak health, and women who are pregnant or nursing infants. Those who have a, quote, white-collar job, such as teachers, students, lawyers, stenographers, barbers, etc., which require a full day of hard work, are ordinarily excused where the absolute norm, which is the two and eight ounces for smaller meal standard, prevails. But ordinarily, such persons are bound to fast where the relative norm is in use, as in the United States at the present day, end quote. Bottom line, as regards pregnant and nursing mothers and those suffering from illness, allowances are made under both norms, but typically, quote, a greater reason is required to be excused from abstinence than from fasting. However, a man who works at a very laborious job, such as a steel mill worker, might be excused on this score. Besides physical necessity, moral necessity is to be considered an excusing requisite. Many times in history, the military has been excused from fasting. However, when a soldier is home merely on leave of absence or furlough, the family does not enjoy the privilege. Those taking advantage of these mitigations should compensate by prayer, the more frequent reception of the sacraments, etc. End quote. So in a nutshell, when health or ability to work would be seriously affected, the law does not oblige you to fast. But if you have any doubt or confusion concerning fast or abstinence, don't hesitate to consult your parish priest or confessor. Or if you are in a situation where you don't have access to a priest, email Kevin at kevin89davis at gmail.com and he can get you in touch with someone who can help. Now, how serious a matter is it to neglect the rules of fast and abstinence? As with any sin, it can be serious, depending upon the gravity of the violation, the foreknowledge, and the intent. Quote, the laws of fasting and abstinence in themselves oblige gravely. Slight violations, however, are only venial sins. End quote. Here's a basic rule of thumb. One would certainly not sin mortally by eating about two ounces of food outside the meals allowed on a fast day, but it would be seriously sinful to take more than four ounces, no matter whether taken at once or at different times of the day. Neither would it be mortally sinful to eat less than an ounce of meat on a day of abstinence, but it would be gravely sinful to take two ounces or more. Nota bene. For reference, generally speaking, two ounces of meat is about the size of two standard playing cards stacked on top of each other, or roughly one piece of a standard size of thinly sliced lunch meat. Quote, Slight violations of the law of abstinence do not coalesce to form a grave sin unless one intends from the beginning to consume a larger quantity. End quote. 
keep in mind the requisites of any mortal sin that apply. First, it must be a serious sin. Second, one must be aware that it's a serious sin. And third, one must do it on purpose. But that said, the practice of Lenten fast and abstinence should be taken seriously. The laws we're discussing are not suggestions. They're laws. What is my responsibility if I've erred concerning the laws of fast and abstinence, whether it's on purpose or accidental? Interestingly, there are different consequences of breaking the rules of fast versus the rules of abstinence. Quote, if a person either advertently or inadvertently has taken two full meals, the fast is broken irreparably, and he no longer is obliged to observe it. End quote. Now, did you just do a double take? I did the first time I read that. Let me explain. One is not technically obliged to continue fasting on that one day. If you go on to snack for the rest of the day after you have broken your fast, you don't incur more sin for it. It counts as one infraction. Father cautions that, quote, one should continue to observe the fast and abstinent rules even if one has erred for two reasons. Number one, the risk of scandal. Number two, as a way to show one's purpose of amendment, if it was on purpose. But to be clear, you don't pile up sin once the day's fast is broken. Once it's broken, it's broken. Think of each fasting day as a little china vase in which you place your sacrifice. Once you've broken the day's fast, the little china vase is in a million pieces. You can't fix it for that day. But you do get a fresh start in the morning with a new vase and a new opportunity. If it's accidental, there's no sin. But if, for example, you know it's a Lenten weekday, you even see a meme on social media that reminds you, but you go out anyway and have a foot-long sub for lunch, and then prepare steak with all the fixings for dinner. If you do this, you'd better hurry to the confessional and don't step in front of any buses. It's serious. The same accountability is true for the laws of abstinence, but the rule concerning a slip-up and abstaining from meat on days appointed is a bit different from goofing up on the fasting laws. Quote, he who has eaten meat on a day of abstinence may still observe the law, and therefore he is not free to eat meat again on the same day. End quote. So, to break it down to essentials, if you're confessing the breaking of the Lenten fast, you need to recount how many days of fast you broke, not how many incidents in a day. But, if you eat meat on a day of abstinence, you need to tell your confessor how many times altogether you ate meat on abstinence days, counting all the incidents. Say it's a regular Lenten weekday. If that foot-long sub at lunch was a meatball sub, and then you went on to have a steak dinner later, you have two sins against abstinence to confess that day. If you did this knowingly, it's a grievous matter. Don't waste time getting right with God about it. The final question. What's the point in all these complicated rules? Why can't I just decide for myself how to prepare for Easter? Well, the answer to this question is another question. Would you? I mean, really, would you? Honestly, probably our listeners would be more inclined than most to live up to the challenge. 
But I think it's safe to say that very few people in the big picture would come close to achieving the church's expected level of Lenten discipline if it weren't required, now or at any other time in history. Holy Mother Church is wise to the ways of her children, in the same way that the savvy mother of a family has her young'uns figured out. I know for a fact that if I hadn't made pretty specific rules for our household when our children were growing up, there would have been chaos. I could have hopefully suggested healthful meals, proper hygiene, and general tidiness. But if I hadn't laid down the law and then carefully regulated it, our children would have had lucky charms for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They'd never have bathed. They'd never have studied. And we'd have had to wade through waist-high toys and trash to move through the house. It would have been chaos, and rarely does good fruit grow out of chaos. Reference the Gospel of Sexagesima Sunday when we read our Lord's parable about the seed and where it falls. The world being like it is, the devil being as persistent as he is, and people being how we are, God bless us with all our fallen human nature, most of us need to be forced to do what's best for us like children forced to tidy every day, but once a year they're required to help deep clean the house, whether they like it or not. It's good for them. It's good for everyone. Each of us, by taking care of our own little corner, improves the overall house of humanity. And let's be frank, the house of humanity is in terrible shape and needs all the help it can get. Our Lenten sacrifices are desperately needed. As the remnant of the faithful, we have not only the responsibility, but I believe a particular power to effect change not only in our own spheres, but in the wider universe by our prayers and penances. Think of this. How much more efficacious do you suppose our sacrifices are today in an era where the practice of religion, much less mortification, is so rare and made so difficult by the distractions and temptations that cover the earth like a fog. These Lenten sacrifices we make out of obedience to the Church are worth so much, in large part because we don't choose them ourselves. No small part of the penance is the obedience, made most fruitful, of course, when it's done out of love. Think of this. How especially dear the dutiful must be to Christ in the 21st century, when in the face of a lazy and irreligious world, and contrary to every worldly recommendation and custom, we keep him company in the Garden of Olives, trying very hard at least to not fall asleep. We follow his blood-stained footsteps to Calvary, even when the whole world mocks us. And then we stand at the foot of the cross with the Blessed Mother and St. John to the bitter end, when the storm rages, and to the faithless hope seems lost. But we know it isn't. Deo gracias, as Catholics, we know it isn't. During our Lenten and our lifelong hike up the hill of Calvary, we know that the end goal is on the other side of the tomb. And we can never be too grateful that Holy Mother Church has marked the way for us. Help us to be deserving, dear Jesus crucified. Tightening up the laces on my hiking boots and joining you all in the climb, this is Lisa Davis, 
joining my prayers to all of yours for a blessed and fruitful season of Lent.